Well, we are uh, excited to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you were at the sunrise service this morning, we recapped what had happened in the previous days, Friday, Thursday, how Jesus was uh, arrested. Friday, he was crucified. Saturday, he was in the tomb. And all seemed lost, all seemed over and finished with. And then today, we celebrate the good news of the empty tomb. Well, I want to... tell you a story. If you brought a Bible with you today, you can go ahead and find Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be read that chapter in just a few moments. But I want to just tell you a little, little something that happened to us about a year ago. Uh, our family was on a short little camping trip over at Pismo Beach, and I was just about to run out to the 7-Eleven. That's my kind of camping, I, I, you know, where you're close enough you can get to the 7-Eleven. Um, uh, and uh, uh, for something for breakfast, and all of a sudden there was a big crash. And uh, sure enough, a, a distracted park ranger had driven his, his big old Chevy Tahoe right into Becky's parked car, crumpled up the, the driver's side fender and, um, you know, didn't render the car unusable once we kind of pulled the fender off the tire and we, we could still drive it. But, man, what a, what a hassle. What a, what a pain in the neck, right? Well, what followed is why I, I bring this up on an Easter Sunday morning. There were several of us there. There was Becky and I, there were, my two sons were there. Uh, there was a park ranger and there were, you know, other campers who all kind of had a perspective on this event. Plus, it's a state-owned vehicle, so CHP, we had to wait for CHP to show up. I mean, imagine this. There's two cop cars to write up a report for a little fender bender like that. And uh, there's all this going on. Um, you know, but we all had a kind of a different perspective on it, different, you know, feelings. Um, the, the worst, of course, was the park ranger who, rather than apologizing, said, oh, there's going to be so much paperwork. <laughs> yeah, it really changes your life, buddy. Come on. But isn't it interesting how you can have multiple witnesses, multiple perspectives on, on one event, something as, you know, insignificant as that, and, and yet we all see it differently. Um, well, what happens when someone who claimed to be the Son of God, right, who predicted that he'd be killed and raised to life again, who, you know, taught and did miraculous things and then is, in fact, killed, executed, and put in a tomb, and then he's found to be missing on the third day after his burial, what a variety would you expect in perspectives or interpretations of that event? Well, we're going to go back 2,000 years and we're going to read Matthew chapter 28. And I've invited Carrie Sue Brown to read this for us today. And I, as she reads this whole chapter, Matthew 28, I want you to notice or pay attention to the a variety of perspectives, the different groups that are represented in this chapter. Carrie Sue. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. "'Don't be afraid,' he said." I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. 
And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, You must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Thank you, Carrie. Well, different responses. At least four groups in that chapter. Right? You've got the women who got there first. First and best witnesses. They saw it all. You, you've got the guards and by extension the Jewish leaders. You've got the disciples who, it says, doubted. And then you have the disciples who worshipped without doubting. Four different groups. And in fact, there's a fifth group that's not mentioned in that chapter. But that fifth group is you and me. Our opportunity to respond. But let's consider the others first. So on that early Sunday morning, a day just like today, you have this Mary and Mary who are off to the tomb. And we know from the other Gospels that they had intended to apply some embalming ointment to Jesus' body. See, Jesus had been buried hastily uh, right after the crucifixion before the start of the Passover. And so there wasn't time to do a proper preparation of the body. And they were coming back as soon as they could. It was following the Sabbath day. Now, what does that tell you? That confirms for us that the women did not expect Jesus to be alive. They expected Jesus to be dead in the tomb. They, they weren't on a, you know, on a, on a resurrection watch of, of some kind. I know Jesus had said that he would rise from the dead, but they, they had not grasped it earlier. They, they didn't get it. So these women were not like some of you have been watching. Um, I don't know how many of you have been watching uh, April the Giraffe. Anybody been following April the Giraffe on the webcam? She finally had the baby yesterday, okay, at the, at the Woodland, uh, I think it's called uh, Adventure Animal Park in New York State. So people have been watching for a month on Facebook Live or something, this giraffe just pacing in her cage, waiting to give birth. So people have been on, like, April the Giraffe watch, which thankfully she finally had the baby yesterday, so you can relax. Everything's going to be okay, right? Right? This, this is not what the women were doing. They were, 
they were they were mourning. They, they, and as these grieving women uh, came, they came out of love and out of reverence, out of worship uh, for Jesus, but sorrowful. And yet, how quickly their sorrow changed to jo- joy. It says they were joyful. They were frightened, but they were joyful at the shock and uh, of this angel who rolled the tomb, a uh, stone away from the tomb. And and uh, and it says in verse eight that the women ran quickly from the tomb, and they were very frightened, but also filled with joy. Ever been afraid and excited at the same time? That kind of mix of emotions. Um, yeah, they were frightened but filled with great joy. So if we're going to call these women a group, we should we should call them the joyful group of women. They uh, because contrary to the culture uh, of the day, which discredited uh, the testimony of women, they were the first and best witnesses to the resurrection. One of the things we said at sunrise service this morning: if you were making this up, you wouldn't make women the first responders, the first witnesses to this event. But it tells us again that God does not discriminate, not against gender or for any other reason. God does not discriminate. Well, the joyful women are worth copying, worth emulating, because even though they were frightened, they obeyed. They obeyed and they went immediately to tell the others. But there's something else that I that I love in this passage. You may have caught this as as Carrie Sue was reading that chapter. It says, as they went, as they went, Jesus met them on the way. Isn't that great? As they went, they, they hadn't actually seen Jesus, but they believed the testimony of the angel. And as they went, it says, Jesus met them. As they expressed their faith, as they were obedient to him to tell others, Jesus met them and talked to him themselves. Verse 9, it says, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him and grasped his feet in worship. It's an amazing thing. You know, this is also, just as a sidebar, this is, again, one of the proofs that we know Jesus is God. Because he allowed people to worship him. These women fell at his feet. You see that later with the disciples. Uh, a, a good Jewish rabbi would never allow someone to worship him if he weren't God. Well, you know, it's just a good reminder that oftentimes faith comes before you get a confirmation. Sometimes believing is seeing rather than seeing is believing. And these women demonstrate that. And you might be a person who just says, you know, I'll believe it when I get some proof. When I can really know for sure this is true, that's when I'll believe it. But you may not see proof until you believe. That's the challenge of it. And, uh, and when you say, I'm going to choose to believe... I'm, I'm going to be sincere and public about this testimony. You'll be amazed at how you begin to encounter Jesus along the way. I loved hearing Teddy's story this morning of this, this Muslim man who, who was so devout in his faith. But as he came to believe in Jesus, God just did a transforming work in his life. My question is, will you respond in devotion to Christ as the women did? Well, there's a second group that we should talk about, and that's the deceitful guards and the deceitful religious leaders. These guys are, are those of us who know better, right? Who, or who should know better, let's say, and, and have been exposed to the truth, but who reject it in favor of lies and personal gain. I would call them a cynical group. They're cynical. Uh, verse 11 tells us that the, that the priests and the elders, they got an accurate report from the soldiers. How could they have witnessed this angel and yet been so 
hard-hearted about this. It's amazing to me that they couldn't receive it. And uh, we don't know if those guards were Roman soldiers or if they were uh, Jewish temple detail because the Jewish leaders had their own kind of private police force or security force. Most likely at the temple police, they had more at stake. They had more vested interest in Jesus being dead and staying dead. But the fabrication is really quite, uh, honestly, it's ludicrous, isn't it? Um, tell them that you, professional guards, fell asleep uh, at your post and that somehow these... Um, you know, amateurs, disciples came and without waking you up, managed to dislodge the stone from the tomb and get the body out. And yet you actually know what happened, even though you slept through it. Surely people will believe that story. And uh, and that's what they went with. <laughs> and sometimes lies are harder to believe than the truth, isn't it? And and yet today people still uh, ascribe to that theory. They, they still uh, believe it. It's really an amazing thing to me. And I, I wonder, you know, if we realize why they would do that. Because if it's true, it demands a personal response. It demands a personal response. And I think they, they knew that. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, it means that Jesus is not like you and I. He's something other. And if he is something other, and if he really rose from the dead as he said he would, then the other things that he said would reasonably be true as well we need to pay attention to that and he is the son of god and in in very essence god and i wonder about about you and about me do do you ignore truth because it's too inconvenient because it's it's too close it makes you too uncomfortable it challenges your life it messes up your assumptions it's a bit like me and hummus yes i'm going to talk about hummus for a moment I don't know how many of you like hummus, but uh, I was convinced that I would not like hummus. And so I refused to try it because, as I would have said, you asked me, it's gross. Now, when I finally did get around to trying it, um, really, I gained an appreciation of it when we were on a, on a trip overseas. I discovered that I actually do like hummus. Imagine that. So then I have to choose. Do I save face and still say it's gross, I'm not going to eat it. See, I told you, it's terrible. Or do I humble myself and say, you know what, the truth is, it's pretty good. Some of us need to recognize that, that we hold on to things that aren't true just because we want to save face and we're afraid what will happen if we believe the truth. We've got to give um, the next uh, group some, some time here as well. Uh, I would call them the doubting disciples because... As we get through the story, it says in verse 17 that, that when they saw him, that is the disciples, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Some of them doubted. Now, I'm, I'm going to call these the doubting disciples, but I want to give them some credit because they were, in fact, obedient to go from the Jerusalem area up north to the Galilee area where they had prearranged to meet. Somehow, Jesus had prearranged with them, but it just didn't occur to them what this all would be. And sure enough, Jesus raised from the dead. So they met him in Galilee and they believed the witness of the women. But in that moment when they saw him, some of them doubted. We don't know exactly what it was that they doubted. Do they? It just says they worship, but some doubted. Did they doubt that it was really Jesus alive in the flesh? Did they doubt that it was, you know, his body? Did they think maybe it was a ghost? Did they, did they doubt the appropriateness of worshiping 
this man that was their teacher and rabbi and friend, what was it that they doubted? Well, we don't know. We do know that eventually the disciples all became um, excellent, great evangelists around the world, which tells us they worked through their doubts. But I liken these guys to Christians who believe, but kind of stay on the fringe. You know, they don't want to get too into it. Don't want to get too, you know, fanatical. Don't want to get too, you know, crazy, you know, about all this stuff. So you're, you're, you know that it's true, but you know, you wonder if Jesus is really the only way to salvation. And, 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 you know, do you really have to kind of get into it? And, you know, you don't want to be part of a small group or kind of participate too much. And we, we gather and, and worship and so on. You, you just, you find yourself holding back. And it's not that you're trying to have a bad attitude. You're just not sure. You just have those doubts. They seem to kind of keep you from really engaging. But being a doubting disciple is, you're still a disciple, but it's not a very satisfying place to be. You're in, but it's not an abundant life. And if that's you today, I would just challenge you to, to really consider What's the source of your reluctance? What, what's the place that, that holds you back? What keeps you in doubt? Maybe you've got some unanswered prayers. Or maybe the reasoning of, of culture or the pressure of your friends or your family holds you back. Look, it's not a sin to doubt. It really is not a sin to doubt. I always say, if you've got doubts, ask all the questions you can. But if you're going to ask the questions, be willing to seek out the answers too. Be willing to seek out the answers. But I'd love it if this were the year when you said, I'm, I'm going to reject my doubts. I'm going to go all in with Jesus. Because that's the last group, the believing disciples. These are my favorite. I love these guys. They heard about the resurrection. They followed directions. They believed the women. They went to the meeting place in Galilee. And then seeing Jesus, they just worshipped him. They just knew that something had changed. And they worshipped Jesus, who had been their friend. They knew everything about him. I mean, they had walked past together. They had probably bunked in people's houses together. They, they'd done all kinds of crazy stuff. But in this moment, they knew this is Jesus. This is Jesus, the, the, the Son of God, worthy of our worship. And, and in their faith, they became the, I would call them the empowered group. Because you catch this in the last three verses. Jesus said, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I mean, if you think about the day of crucifixion, they had all, except for Peter and John, they had all abandoned Jesus. And we're going we're to exclude Judas for now because Jesus had actually betrayed Jesus and, and committed suicide as a result. But they abandoned Jesus. They fled. And then Peter denied Jesus vehemently, denied that he even knew Jesus. Right. And yet, amazingly, these are the guys that Jesus is going to entrust with the gospel message. These very ones who turned tail and ran. Jesus says, oh, yeah, I can trust those guys. It's a remarkable thought, isn't it? Jesus reached out to them and they turned their failure into belief. Who of us has not failed? Who of us has not sinned or messed up or blown it in some way? Who of us hasn't stayed silent when we we're meant to speak or spoken when we we're meant to be quiet? Right? Who of us hasn't been stingy when we we're meant to be generous? There were people you 
you wanted to, you meant to invite to church today, and you just you just didn't get around to it, you didn't have the courage, and you're thinking, oh, I really should have invited so-and-so, and you're kind of beating yourself up, right? I mean, all of us have been there, and, and will again and again. But is it any worse than any of the disciples? Especially if you consider the Apostle Paul later, who, who even supervised the persecution and killing of Christians, who himself became the greatest Christian leader or greatest leader of our church. These were the worshiping, faith-filled disciples. And friends, that's, that's who you want to be. That's who you want to be. Who, people who demonstrate their faith and the same obedience as the women. And as a result, authorized to be witnesses of the good news of Jesus. And because they were obedient to Christ, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to go make disciples of all nations. That same power is available to you. But I wonder, which one would you want to be? Those obedient, joyful women? That's a good group. The, the cynical guards and leaders who are, who are too cool to allow themselves to believe the truth even though they know what's true. What about the disciples who were there, but, but they've got their doubts? Or those disciples who are fully believing and all in?